Uh, hello. Hello. Welcome to the movie. You get the get the <clears throat> rust off of this. We've right. been, uh, been <clears throat> me, 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 me. We've been around, it's been but quite not here some though. Time, right? It's been a few weeks. Has it been almost a month since we recorded? It has though? been, man. It's been pretty close, man. Like maybe a week off. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a that's a pain in the ass. And obviously from that half episode, we've seen tons of movies though. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and we're not going to talk about any of them tonight. And we're all pretty caught up, but that's a whole different uh, yes. conversation. Screw right. that. We're going to talk about something else, right? So yeah, uh, tonight's episode has kind of an interesting origin, wouldn't you say? <laughs> an origin story. It's a, it's a little-known phone number uh, we post out sometimes, but somebody got a hold of it. Yeah. A, a young fella named Patrick, I think, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was very pleasantly surprised. I a good saw friend the... of mine who you may have worked briefly with. You know, I with. talked to him you over... You guys both might... He was a manager at Towson for a little while. Uh, well, uh... That's inside baseball. Let's just skip that. <laughs> but yeah, a friend of mine who you guys may have known. We, we all, we've we all worked for the same major computer company at different times. <laughs> so you may remember Patrick from, from there. But... I, I didn't. We I talked mm-hmm. to him briefly over text after he left us a voicemail. And uh, I think our pads maybe just missed crossing mm-hmm. but it was a very interesting voicemail when i saw the light go off in the corner of the room where the phone sits <laughs> and it was ring, ring, ring. it's an old rotary phone you yeah. know what i mean like we, that's what we do here it rumbles like a cartoon yeah, it like, shakes yeah. and it's got a little like sound icons coming out of the side of it <laughs> yeah for a bunch of podcasters we keep our phones like in, based in the 80s if at all yeah. possible and uh yeah really really nice voicemail from patrick and it really kind of prompted a a conversation uh amongst the three of us of Maybe this is a good idea. He, he threw out some ideas. Well, let's just check out the message. Yeah, let's take a listen to Patrick's beautiful voicemail. Movie schmovie. It's Patrick Anderson. Uh, I can't say enough how great your show is. Um, being a uh, staying-at-home worker, um, catching up on your podcast. Again, I just think it's amazing. Um, some ideas. Uh, I'd really like to hear what your best or your favorite villains are. Um, or if you guys would cover the Western genre. Um, kind of curious what you guys would think. But uh, besides that, keep up the great work, um, and I just got to say that is the best Keith David impersonation I've heard, so please bring him back. Amazing. So thanks, guys. Uh, once again, it's Patrick Anderson, and uh, just keep up the good work. Take care. Bye. Well, Patrick is a, is a damn genius. Right. <laughs> What a great idea. How did did he know we didn't have anything for this week, but that we knew we wanted to get together? Right. So he he made the ultimate excuse, right? I was talking about villains. I don't know if I would call it an excuse. It's more of a suggestion. An idea. A pearl. A pearl. Although some people might say this was a sorry excuse for an episode when they finished listening to it, but I think it's actually actually better than that. I think it's great. So yeah, talking about villains. Mm -hmm. We haven't really done that, uh, and... (laughs) Haven't I, done that. Well, uh, you know, we've done some of these like category shows right. or or uh, list shows, topic driven shows, and it seems like this is one that we talk about all the time without without really focusing on it, which is, you know, the quality of a movie's villain. So I don't know about you guys, but when I started thinking about who my top villains would be for this, I started off thinking I had a pretty good list, and then the list consistently evolved to the point where I felt like I was eliminating and neglecting a lot of really great characters. Yeah, I felt horrible making this list uh <laughs> villainous even yeah i mean because here's the thing like it like you kind of were saying it started out as maybe like 10 and mm-hmm. then i'm going through like the genres i'm going through male female i'm going through different time you know and, the, and it just kept growing and growing and it, it, it really intimidated me when i sat down to try to cut it down to five like we're gonna all kind of throw out some five i'm sure there may be some crossover but i'm 
But I do have some other honorables that we're going to just like kind of throw off at the end real quick because I feel yeah. like they do need some acknowledgement. Yeah. And and I'm going to call some audibles. If, if we hear some crossover, I might pull an audible. In. I've got a couple okay. alternates in there. And then I had okay, a couple cool. where – I had a couple of instances where <laughs> – I thought of, you were talking about genres. Yeah. I thought of like different types of villain. And I really wanted to make sure I'd represented all of them. And then there were some where it was really a toss up as far as like one villain versus another. So I might mention a quick also ran, but I think the point of keeping it brief is just so that we don't spend three hours here talking about, about these characters. Because there really are so many great ones. And every time I thought of another one, it didn't just seem like, oh, that's another good villain. It was like, oh, that's another one that's got to be on any top five. Yeah, and, and I mean, and as I look at my list, I don't know if you guys can say the same about yours, but... I look at the films that these villains come from, and in mostly every case, they are the best takeaway from the movie that they mm -hmm. were in, you know, uh, with the exception of maybe one. Mm -hmm. But I mean, they're the thing where if you said this movie's title, it's the character or the moment in the movie or the feeling you left the movie with, probably that that character caused. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Which I think is like, it speaks a lot to just talking about villains in general. Um, I don't have any anti-heroes on... I, I thought very specifically about that. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, anti-heroes didn't make it on. Same, um, same. Another thing <clears throat> that didn't make it on, that almost made it on, were like bullies and sort of antagonists okay. in that sense. There's a lot of like antagonistic <clears throat> characters that I... I have that, a couple cut. Have but most of the ones that ended up on my list are ones who... There's something <clears throat> grand scale, something evil, something... But what you said is one of my criteria too is kind of um, a character that sticks with you. Absolutely. And that... that more so than any other emotion, I tried to pick characters that I hated at some point while I was watching the film. More so than fear. And that's almost like I was thinking we could probably you could do a whole podcast just talking about villains in movies, really, because there's so many different types. I think we're doing that right now, aren't but we? But like well, I mean a whole you could have a whole show. <laughs> oh, the whole you series could, is yeah, based you could be on it. Like, next week we're talking about Femme Fatales and the week after that we're talking about Anaheroes. Um but in this case, yeah, I tried to stick to like hissable villains like villains who while watching the film I, I wanted to reach out and strangle them what were your criteria like Ronald yeah, well it was it was that stuff and then what where I was in life I guess thinking about how it affected me and then like there's something really polarizing about a good villain and like it, it's something that you can kind of relate to some aspect of your life and 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 when you think about like certain villains, you think I was there when I first saw him. I was this young. I was watching with this person. Those are the type of villains that I picked um, for for my five. And then the mentionables are kind of around there. But mm -hmm. these are villains that changed my whole perception of villains. I guess is what how I should kind of. That was my criteria. You want to get us started off, Ronald? Yeah, sure. Mine is a weird one. So my dad really got me into. Uh, movies when I was young and one of the first movies that he ever showed me was a 1955 movie called Night of the Hunter and there was a uh, Robert Mitchum played this uh, character called uh, Harry Powell his name was Harry Powell and he was a preacher that was also a, a serial killer so he lived in a he, he was in a prison with a guy Ben Harper that stole some money and but it basically, once they get out of prison, he he goes on this like mission to find where this money is. Mm -hmm. This guy is underhanded. He's sneaky. He's well spoken. Oh man, he's so smooth. He's I, so I, I smooth. just got to say, this is one like, that hello. almost made it on my list. It's like hello. I'm How so glad that it, that at least he's being talked about. Yeah, yeah. like great performance by Robert. Yeah. Mitchum. Incredible movie. He had love and hate on each one of his hands. Yeah, tattooed and he, on his. Hand. And he has oh, this am amazing. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he has this amazing sort of speech about it 
and and uh, actually uh, Spike Lee borrowed that for um, Do the Right Thing. All right. Except one of the characters just had gold, gold love and hate, where he was like punching. Oh, cool! It's it's almost the exact same speech. But seeing this guy kind of weasel his way in and out of these situations, Coming up singing and stuff. Yeah, he's he's like one of those people. He'll 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 be in a situation where uh, two characters will be talking. He'll be leaning up against a fence with an apple in his hand, mm-hmm. singing, saying all these amazing things to weasel his way in. And then when you least expect it, he'll try to kill you. That movie, when I saw it, I didn't think the villains could be that evil. Yeah, there's something. Yeah, you can watch it now and still be kind of shaken up by how creepy he is yeah. and how evil he is. It's so that was my first. We're not going five to one, are we? We're just kind of throwing them out there. I mean, mine are in some kind of order, but no, <clears throat> not really. No, so. no. Right, I'm not gonna go five to one. I'm gonna throw this out there while I have the chance so that I get to say it first. <laughs> no. uh, my first pick for best villain of all time would be the Joker from The Dark Knight. Oh, uh, Heath Ledger. Oh uh, man. I think maybe probably the perfect modern villain mm-hmm. uh especially with the types of films that we're watching now uh in theaters uh, a villain that you don't really need any setup for even even coming from comics and the people that know him from comics and know some sort of backstory about the joker and christopher nolan's a dark knight you don't really need to know anything you don't you're not really told anything except in a small piece where he's talking about his father <clears throat> but you don't even know if that's true well he gives con- contradictory information yeah yeah so that it makes you question scenes. what yeah. what what is what, what's true and what's not but there's no, there's no real origin needed to understand that this is a person that, like I think Michael Caine's character just says, just uh, watches the world burn just to see it burn or something like that. Hmm. Um, uh, just an incredible performance. Um, I don't know, man. It's just that 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 form of villain compared to some of the other villains that I have on my list. It just makes me think of now. It makes me think of the world now. <clears throat> People in this world that. Real people, real groups that some people would deem as villains in this world, mm-hmm. I think are mo- most relatable to a character like the Joker in mm. The Dark Knight. Wow. And uh, just scares the crap out of you that that, that that type of evil exists in that world and sadly in ours. And oh, I mean, yeah. That's what scares me so much about watching the Joker and his performance. And uh, maybe, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's out there and I needed to say it first. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is that both. Heath Ledger's Joker and Jack Nicholson's Joker are two of those iconic performances where people talk about the the, the villain is the star of the film. Sure, in a lot of ways, absolutely. You know? My first uh, choice tonight is, uh, you know, I told you I broke them down into categories, and mm-hmm. I started thinking about what types of villains might make this list, and one of them would be the type of villain who, who like who who's better at hating you than someone that loves you or someone that wants to love you or once loved you. And I started thinking about that type of character, and and the one that really stuck with me is uh, Kathy Bates as Annie Wilkes in Misery. Oh wow, uh, yeah, that's a good one. When she, I mean, the character kind of slowly evolves over the course of the film. You know, the idea being that she is uh, this nurse who happens upon uh, her favorite author. Uh, it's in that sense, it's rather a coincidence. In, sure. in the book, it's actually alluded to that she's kind of stalking Paul Sheldon. I think I don't know if that makes it into the movie as well. But in Stephen King's book of Misery, you know, you get the idea that she is a a serial killer and and she's been kind of stalking Paul Sheldon, the author played by James Caan, for a while. But either way, she she ends up rescuing him from a, a wreck on the side of the road where he's been, you know, hurt pretty bad, maimed, I guess. Like, he can't get around. And rather than reporting him to the police or taking him to the hospital or letting anyone know, she just takes him off to her cabin and chooses to care for him herself. 
um, the way that her love for him and what he's doing as a writer curdles into hate when she sees that in his latest book, once it's published, while he's still kind of under her roof, um, and she discovers that he's killed off her favorite character. She becomes so evil <laughs> and so manipulative. It's this weird, it's just the sickening effect of a person who is able to mask their uh, they're evil in a kind of cloyingly sweet shell. Uh, and of course, there's no mistaking that she's she's batshit crazy by the time you know, you're midway into the plot. But I just remember there's something so identifiable and gross about that, that notion. Really what the movie does is kind of make it so that you will never trust anyone who seems a little too into you. you know? <laughs> right. Prior to this, I don't remember seeing Kathy Bates in anything anyway. So, so it was really a character that really seemed to exist in this fully formed way. You just see her up on the screen and you believe. That's Annie Wilkes. Cool. An Oscar-winning performance. An Oscar-winning performance. As was Mr. Yes. Ledger's. So oh. two in a row. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Two villains winning Oscars. Two villains. Um, mine, my next one, is a person who shook me up as a kid. Shook <clears throat> Physically up. shook you? He shook in up. In person? He shook up my effing life. So uh, I love Christopher Lloyd. I love him in almost everything I've ever seen him in. And when he took the form of Judge Doom and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, nice. that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> it's something really, I mean, even watching it like pretty recently, seeing a person who destroys cartoons <laughs> the way that he did and not think twice about it. It's 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 something very unhinging. We're all picturing the scene where he dips the little yeah. shoes into the stuff. Yeah, that's what pretty... was really weird about that too. Was like it, it it was cool that he was so dark, and that the movie was so light. Yeah, because it cut. It, it, it was able. You see were, how stark that difference. Is yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you see how stark it is, and when it happens, it's like, wow, that wasn't what I was expecting <laughs> him to do. It, I thought he would like punch punch a right. cartoon, shoot them across the screen. No, he he would murder them, and I thought that was so cool of a thing to do for a movie that was. I mean, it's probably like PG back then, PG thirteen, but um, Christopher Lloyd's performance is. So were you shaken up, or did you think it was cool that he that he murdered? I thought it was really scary. <laughs> I thought it was really scary. I I thought that like if he would kill. <laughs> cartoons what would he do to human beings like <laughs> i guess i gotta figure that out like well that was the kind of gloves are off moment for the movie to let yeah. you know like there's 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 a real awful fate awaiting yeah. any cartoon and that scream that the shoes yeah. it was very awful so it's one of my favorite villains one of the most ruthless i really enjoy judge judge doom so that was pretty cool so no that was one that i you know like I definitely thought about that one. Like these all so far are, are like ones I'm sure. I don't know. Maybe there'll be a lot of that kind of overlap, but these sure. are all ones I'm really glad that someone's mentioning because now that, that movie, I haven't seen it in years, but my theory I haven't is seen it in a while either. that it holds up, but I haven't seen it. I got in a the Blu-ray time. restoration mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm probably going to watch it in the next couple of days. And I hear it looks really good. Love that movie. Yeah, it's so a good have you movie. seen it recently? I have. I've so does probably, it hold up? Probably within the last year. Or really? So. Oh, yeah. it's been a couple years. It's for been me, on TV but... a couple times. I've called it. I think it does. I mean, it's actually I love Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. and, and I'm not gonna lie, I was in love with Jessica Rabbit. Oh, me too. Yeah. I mean, actually, to now, today, I am still. <laughs> right. It still holds. My next pick is <clears throat> another Oscar-winning film in multiple categories. Oh, uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Mr. Hannibal Lecter from The Silence of the Lambs. Okay. Might be one of my favorite movies of, of ever. Um, I don't know where it falls in that list, but it's definitely in there. And obviously, Anthony Hopkins, uh, his portrayal, more so in Silence of the Lands, but I guess you could also run with it in, in The Red Dragon and Hannibal if you want. But 
mainly in that first film where you really just see what a genius, uh, what a genius killer this is, and and how much he gets off. Uh, as as much as being inside your head is actually what he does to you after the fact, you know, as a as a killer. Mm. But like the mental game is just as much of a rush to him as the physical thrill and and the and the cannibal piece and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, like the first shot, I wrote like a note like that when the camera just like slowly zooms into him, he's like staring into the camera, just like the glassiest look in his eye. I don't know, just like that scene really always stuck with me, and uh, and just knowing throughout the whole film that like he was completely aware of every gear that he was turning and nut and bolt that he was tightening, you know, just to kind of make things go, you know, as he wanted them. Even with the last shot in the film where he's going after that doctor, mm-hmm. um, just an awesome movie, great villain. And uh, an iconic performance, I think, in film and just period. You know what I mean? Even in that movie, you kind of like him, but it's hard to remember now that he's sort of become more of like a protagonist sort of in our minds. That, yeah. And when you first saw that movie, what a terrifying character he was. You yeah. Know? I don't know. And even like even the, the, the character of Hannibal Lecter, even with Manhunter, with Brian Cox, I thought you still see some of the, some of the real... There's definitely shining moments of that Hannibal Lecter character in in Manhunter. Um, well, I mean, Brian Cox is great in that yeah. role, but Hannibal just has a smaller part in that. Exactly, story. that's exactly what I was getting. You got you could get a taste of it, but then in Silence, Silence of the Lambs and uh, being a tool, like him being a tool for Jodie Foster's character, um, in her eyes at least, but in his, it's obviously a completely different game. Uh, it just you know, just a great villain, and I don't know, just. He almost became me. a little bit of a cartoon character after that movie. Uh, but I think in that movie, yeah, you definitely, like, you, you are allowed to be kind of creeped out, like you said, by how by how intelligent he is. By the fact that I mean, you think you would be able, like, even Clarice, who kind of has his interest, he still sort of thinks of her in this sort of, in this sort of cold, manipulative way. Absolutely. But, yeah, like, that's, yeah, that's very chilling. And I think that maybe now we take that for granted. I don't know how many movies have been done since then where to catch a killer, we must first... We, we've got to find the worst the killer, killer and yeah. talk yeah, to him about that's, it. You know? that's, I feel like that's so overdone now. Yeah, it really is. So it, you almost you almost don't think it's an original thing when you see Silence of the Lambs. But I think that movie... I mean, you know, obviously there's a, a lot of people that like that movie, but I'll talk about movies that hold up and are oh, just supremely watchable. There's there's almost nothing wrong with that, that film. Yeah, I just... Ugh, love that movie so much. So yeah, Hannibal Lecter's had the had the honor of being like well portrayed by three different actors. Yeah, yeah. At this I, I was point. gonna say even in the new series, Hannibal. I still um, need to watch that. Dude, it's so good. It is really good. And one of the best things about their version of Hannibal is that they do build these slow burn ways of reminding you that he's a villain. Like at the at the core of it all, he's he's yep. he's a bad guy. You know. And that's really incredible to me. Like even thinking about this list in Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. And not that I'm not that I'm matching them together, but thinking of this first season of Hannibal, uh, I, I never pronounce his name. Is it Mads Mikkelsen? I want to say Mads Mikkelsen, Mikkelsen, but I might be wrong. Yeah, uh, he plays Hannibal Lecter in the TV series Hannibal. You know what that translates to? What Jack what Mikkelsen? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Clear translation. <laughs> yeah. I missed it. Um, it's really cool to watch the TV series because, like, you, you those little brief reminders of of again how he's helping them catch these criminals or, or or who they think they're catching is the criminal but in the background he's just like kind of pulling all the strings you know and seeing how much access he has to the different characters in the series you know putting him on my list the Hannibal Lecter from Silence of the Lambs you can see the gap or I could fill the gap in in my mind between this series and this movie mm-hmm. you know if I was just making it up and seeing how uh 
how that skill is really honed in, in the TV series. Watching Silence of the Lambs recently, you can you can pick up on little things that he does throughout the film that are like absolutely the same thing that you can see at work in a series, which is a prequel. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Which is, I mean, that's why I like the series so much. Is yeah. I would, you, you would definitely like it, Ronald. You should check it out. I need to watch it. But yeah, Hannibal Lecter, my, my, my second choice. My second choice is one of, let's see. Yeah, there's arguably there's three there's three non-humans on my list, but this is this is maybe the least human and in some ways the most human. Oh, did I just blow your mind? <laughs> um uh, let's just say that in 1968 when they were making a little sci-fi movie called 2001, <laughs> they decided that one of the the, the best antagonist for the film would be not a not a human but uh, an artificial intelligence the the ship's computer the discovery one which is going on a long range mission to Jupiter uh, which is being overseen by the HAL 9000 which is the artificial intelligence um, you know a little factoid that a lot of people have told me over the years that turns out not to be true is that the letters of HAL are one letter off of IBM which is what I was always told but Arthur C Clarke the sci-fi writer who collaborated on the story with uh, Stanley Kubrick said that that was never the case that it actually stands for heuristically algorithmic the h and then the al oh, wow. the, which is a reference to the way that the computer was like in the fictional sense the way it was programmed you know yeah. the, that it was like taught how to how to kind of develop this human Process, personality like human, yeah. but in the movie what makes hal so chilling is the fact that he is so smart but he does have this almost kind of human fallibility and the whole movie hinges on the 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 moment when it becomes apparent to the two astronauts who are not in hypersleep at this point like this mission is going out to jupiter and there's most of the astronauts on the ship are in hypersleep but the two that are awake are beginning to realize that uh that hal's making some some poor choices and there's been some misjudgment and they're debating what to do about this and there's really nowhere to go on the ship to hide from the ship's computer and so they do go into the there's a bay where there are these two sort of like separate pods the little ships that go out to repair the ship they go into one of those pods and they turn off the sound under the pretense that they're turning off the sound because they're testing the systems in the pod but actually they're turning off the sound so that Hal won't be able to hear them and then they whisper back and forth in that pod about what to do about Hal (laughs) unbeknownst to them one of one of Hal's like red sensor eyes is just outside the pod reading their fucking lips oh bastard uh, it's just one of the creepiest moments uh, that I could think of. And the fact that, like a lot of Kubrick films, the fact that so much happens just in, in, in it's brightly lit, these huge sets, a lot of things that almost shouldn't be able to be made scary. Um, I don't know that anyone has, since this movie, has made outer space kind of as unknowable and scary as it is in this film. A lot of people probably remember the, the really crazy moment at the end where uh, Dave Bowman escapes and goes into the monolith as kind of the climax of the film. But really what happens between Dave and Hal, the kind of, the kind of battle of wills between, you know, basically you're in an environment and you're fighting against that environment. Uh, and this, and you know, Hal at some point decides that killing the astronauts is the surest way to succeed in the mission. And so it becomes this, this, this super isolated battle, you know, that's very philosophical and, 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 and very kind of abstract, but in certain moments, it's just like any moment in a, in a great horror film. The moment when you realize they can't hide from this intelligence that, that could basically just cut off their oxygen if it wanted to. It's really creepy as fuck. So, hmm. so that one. So HAL 9000. HAL 9000. Um, mine. Okay. So two facts I never really understood about anything, any movie that's ever come out. People from space have British accents and robots... <laughs> From the future, have Austrian accents. 
<laughs> one of my favorite movies of all time is Terminator 2. Best action movie I've ever seen in my life. Like I can't, I've I've seen a lot of them. I cannot find one that has the wit, the the grit and the villain quite like this villain and uh T1000 played by Robert Patrick. Um he is one of the first villains I've ever seen in my life. It has one of those moments where all all movie where you're like running, you're like, uh, uh, I'm I'm away, and then he pops up again fifty times in the movie, and he comes harder the 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 next time you see him. And relentless villains like that are kind of what make good movies so good because it it doesn't have a dry moment, doesn't have a dull moment, and he contributed to that. Seeing my favorite scene is when. He's running after the car, and he kind of hooks himself on, and he finally like yeah, he's like keeps climbing on. They finally get him off, and it's that piece kind of dangling, and they hit it off. It's kind of that fear, that fear that that guy's gonna come back, and they know he's gonna come back. They know that that's just for a second. I fucking love that about good villains, and that's why I chose him. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that feeling. I remember seeing Terminator Two in the theaters like multiple times, and yeah. the, but but the first time, like even with Terminator One, you got the sense that you know. Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character was relentless as well. Yeah, yeah. But there was an element, like, you, you felt more of the future element in the T-1000. You know, like the liquid metal and being able to form and, and shape shift. And yeah. Nothing was really, sh you were never really sure of a scene once you realized that, you know, he could he could morph and he could basically make weapons out of his arms and yeah. he could change into your mother or into the father. <laughs> You're like, shit, I don't know this. This yeah. Terminator world is different now. It's different. It's not man. just this, like, so, you know this this machine coming after me trying to kill me it's this this machine that has a lot better of an or a lot a lot more impressive arsenal of uh oh yeah of tools i think the scene that i remember getting me was like when the mother is like when he, when john calls oh. him and the mother and the father's like telling him something and then she, she puts her arm out you don't see that it's off camera yeah and the, the husband just shuts up real quick and then the the shot goes wide and it's it's hit you could tell it's the terminator yeah and and it's just like that liquid spade coming out of his arm. Oh, yeah. dude, brutal, brutal. Great. Not to mention Terminator Two. I'm not gonna lie, I cried in that movie. Oh yeah. I don't mind admitting when I cry during films. I'm very emotional. Man. You talk about when he dropped into the yes. Fuck, when Arnold man. went down and that I... music swelled, I was like, no. Yeah. What? <laughs> What's happening? Why are you doing? I mean, I knew what he had to do. But he had to, man. He had such to get an emotional the, connection. Had to get rid of that chip in his head, man. He had to destroy himself. I, I was so sad and about that. And he to save John Connor. In the future. <laughs> Love that movie, man. Love that movie. So good. What I think is interesting is that in the future, between 1983 and 1990, they developed computer-generated technology. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so that they could send back Weird. a liquid metal character from the future. Yes. Good stuff. Good stuff. That, good. That's, a, that's an episode that we should record in the future. Make a note. Is the sequels that are better than the originals. Oh, yes. yes. Okay, we'll do that sometime. That's a really good idea. I thought you literally meant we need to do some kind of time travel. We need to record <laughs> that I'm in the future. I'm also down for that. Record that in the future, send it back to the past. I'm, I'm up we for could rewrite movie schmovie history. Guys. I think both of them would probably be as fun. Yep. <laughs> what I think is interesting just, about just the Terminator evil. is that he is, that character is synonymous with characters that keep coming back now. Yep. You know, I mean, yeah. like you've got your Jason Voorhees and you've got your Michael Myers and all that stuff. And I generally kept horror movie villains off this list because they seem to me to be their own kind of thing. But in terms of like in movies where you have a character that keeps coming back, what people say now is a Terminator like or a character yeah. that it has a Terminator like knack for, you know, so it's like that that notion of how relentless that character is. That's that is really what sticks with I, you. I feel like that. that's done a lot now. The whole like blank stare 
like just kind of standing there running towards someone I, I feel like that's well that has to do with another one that i've chosen i can't well, wait for you uh, to, i can't wait for the next go round. i that i hope well that's that character didn't make it on my list if it's who i'm thinking of and i hope it's oh I, I think it is because it's a character that is yeah. utterly relentless mm-hmm. yes. all right well steve share your next villain. my next villain uh is actually the oldest villain on my list in terms of when his <laughs> film came out uh and i would probably call him the original you mentioned the slasher uh villains i'd probably consider him the og uh and that's mr norman Bates. yes mm. um again a show on tv which kind of makes him a little more relevant now the the mc or a and e titled uh was Bates motel Bates motel um also a cool show i don't know if you've seen that ronald or john pretty cool show i like vera formiga so <laughs> yeah um but yeah i don't know just i can remember watching psycho for the first time as a as a pretty young kid uh and just being really thrown off by the idea of how this sweet, seemingly sweet boy next door taking care of the hotel, um, and and for for Psycho being what it is as a film and what happens in the first you know twenty minutes of the movie, that aside for the film, just the, the just the character himself, uh, Anthony Perkins for kind of taking this sweet skinny you know harmless looking guy and finding a way to 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 just put that little crack in the facade, mm-hmm. you know, to make it slightly off, and then you catch it, and you realize what's going on. Um, just a really kind of chilling performance, and uh, something that you could always say you were fooled on. I feel like, you know, watching Psycho for the first time, I don't know, I don't know. It would be probably hard to try to like, truly gauge this, but somebody genuinely not knowing that he was the, you know what I'm saying? Like, that he was the killer. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's one of those test questions where I feel like people probably would lie, but you don't, you, nothing gives that away about that movie if you were seeing that movie under, without any kind of knowledge going into it. Mm-hmm. Which I think is what's so great about that villain is that you don't know where he falls in this story at all when you're introduced to him. And when what happens in the shower scene, still nothing is telling me that it has anything to do with this guy at that point in the film. And, you know, the curveballs that happen throughout the movie are, are their own kind of storytelling device, but Norman Bates, the character itself, is just one badass mofo. Well, that's another one where, to imagine being one of those original audiences that saw that film, yeah. to see the movie mutate from what it seems to be in the first 20, 30 minutes, whatever that time distance is, sure. to the moment where the famous shower scene occurs, totally different movie at that point. Like, now we've sort of done that. We've followed the killer. We've gotten into the notion of what makes them who they are. Back then, it was a brand new notion that you were going to, like, get into this kind of, like, a monstrous character and kind of, that they could be this mild-mannered person, that they could be this little milquetoast uh, guy who you would never expect. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, I almost wish I could go back in time and experience that film not having already That's been That's what I'm trying to get at. Like, it's hard to even try to gauge it against anything now because everybody's so aware of what's come after it. Um, and even like when when Hitchcock came out, like with the, speaking of uh, Anthony Hopkins, oh the, uh, the 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 film uh, the film about the making year, of about the making Psycho. of Psycho. Yeah, um, they even talk about how the character, according to the author of the book, was like slightly based off of Ed Gain, mm-hmm. and you know having that backstory and and even the last shot of the movie, like after hearing like a psychiatrist try to like wrap up what's wrong with Norman Bates, you still have that shot of him like. You know, he wouldn't even harm a, a fly, you know, mm-hmm. on his body. But he gives you that look in the camera that, te- that you're you're sure that like there's still something really fucked up with this guy. Yeah. But he, but he, you know, he's not gonna hurt a fly. But. A lot of people 
talk about how corny that ending is, but I love the old fashionedness of that ending with like the psychologist or the psychiatrist talking about his, his, you know, his disorder. Uh, Yeah. Great performance. Anthony Perkins. It's easy to miss like how good he is in that role, but it really is because there's a vulnerability to that character that is, that makes him all the creepier. Yeah. Good stuff. Sorry, go. All right. Well, my next pick, um, you know, I told you I kind of did mine in sort of categories. The Mm -hmm. Annie Wilkes was the, the sort of disappointed admirer. Hal 9000 was, I thought of him as kind of an evil genius. My next villain is a traitor. One of the worst kind of villains that there, that there is, you know. And I thought of a lot of great traitors. Uh, one of them that I almost ended up choosing was uh, Paul Reiser as Burke in the Aliens. Oh, um, yeah. Because he's like a weasel. He's a human who's oh, like willing to do whatever he can to save his own neck, even if it means getting everyone else killed. And he also seemed to have that weird... All the company men in the Alien series always had that thing where they seemed to know something was going on. Yeah. But that's not the traitor that I ended up choosing. I, I, I really, I thought about this. Sometimes with a more recent movie, it's hard to say whether it stood the test of time, whether it really belongs on a list like this. But I could not get away from Samuel L. Jackson as Steven in Django Unchained. <laughs> really? As just a character who, the more, you, so good. the more you figure out about him, the more uncomfortable he makes you. And that in that movie, I mean, all the all the materials before it came out had you thinking that uh, DiCaprio's Calvin Candy was going to be the most despicable character oh, in the movie. Yeah. But when you really get into the movie, you see that worse than this slave owner, this plantation owner, is, you know, I mean, essentially, let's just call it what it is. It's, you know, the, the he's a race trader. I mean, basically, Stephen <laughs> yeah. is is the guy who has this influence and this cleverness, but instead of using it to kind of juke the system to maybe like help other slaves or to like do anything against the power structure he's in, he does it to fit in with the power structure that he's in. And he just, you know, like you see him, he actually takes Calvin Candy and makes him worse. Like throughout the course of the plot, he's actually working against uh, characters that you might think he would be sympathetic towards. Uh, um, And also I think it was rare in recent memory to see Samuel L. Jackson not kind of sleepwalking through a movie. So great yeah. actor, great material, and a real surprise as far as the kind of sickening punch in the gut you get. when you The more you figure out about this kid, the way he goes from that kind of step-and-fetch-it, servile way of talking in front of the white folks to when you see him behind closed doors, and he's, <laughs> he's you know, he's pulling the strings, but not in the right way, not in the way yeah. you would like to see a character like that pulling evil, the strings. Evil, yeah. Yeah. Very, evil Very guy. evil guy. And to, to, to out-evil uh, DiCaprio's character, obviously... Obviously, takes a lot, and even in the movie, you can see that he's really more the bad guy because the the climax of the film hinges much more on seeing Stephen's eventual fate come sure. up and stand on anything that happens to the right. to the slave owners. So, mine is a weird one that you'll probably. I hope you never watch. I hope you never watch this movie. If it's the Black Devil doll, I'm gonna no, walk out right this, now. This I think it's pronounced Vukmir. Okay, so. One of the most fucked up movies that I've ever seen in my life is a movie called A Serbian Film. Oh. Now, (laughs) (laughs) Vukmir is a porn director that kind of directs this, like, classic porn star. This guy's like, I don't know, Ron Jeremy. He's like the Ron Jeremy of his generation of porn. And reels him into this situation where he gives him um, an opportunity to make the best porn ever, right? There's no... There's no script, and when he shares it with him, the portions that he has to perform, it's not until he gets to this house. So it starts off very subtle. A little sex scene here, a little sex scene there. Then a kid appears in a room while he's having sex, and then it goes berserk from there. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use two words together that I've never, ever used together, and I never will use together ever again. Baby rape. 
All right. He is the worst villain I've ever seen on screen, period. Period. In terms of acts. Vukmir from a Serbian film. <laughs> the worst villain I've ever <laughs> seen in my fucking... I, 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 I did not want to see any movies for quite some time after I saw this movie. That's how fucked up he was. He's a terrible villain. A Serbian film. Haven't seen it. Don't know. Don't you know, you know see it's it. it's on that list don't of movies that I that I theoretically want to see because I like to see anything that is like as a horror buff, anything that's supposed to be really just balls to the wall, like yeah. disturbing. But I can't. I haven't been able to make my well, way to that film yet. That and Martyrs are two films that yeah. I just have not made time for yet. So Robbie Robbie Reed, good good guy. Real good friend of mine. I'm sure every friend loves to be shouted out as close to the phrase baby rape as possible. No, well, he said something really interesting about the movie. He said it was something very beautiful about what that about what that movie does to you feeling-wise. Like it, it, it puts you in a place. I've never watched a movie and been put in this place that it does to me emotionally, where I feel like have to guard myself a little more i have to be nicer to people i have to do things I, i've never watched a, i haven't watched a movie in a very long time that's made me feel like wow this life that i'm living is a beautiful one mm-hmm. i need to treat people nicely i don't need to take advantage of people in any way shape or form man people are terrible in this world yeah, yeah it's Especially like actually babies fuck man that movie is disturbing but yeah worst villain all right, my next uh, your next guy's gonna seem tame. My, my guy's like an angel compared yeah. to that, I guess. Uh, my next pick is uh, the 2009 film *Inglorious Bastards*. Ooh. this is uh, Christoph Waltz, his first Oscar. Uh, not followed by your choice, but no, but it's amazing that you know, like that just yeah, goes yeah, to show no, Tarantino is, uh, gives good villain. Nazi Colonel Hans Landa in uh, 2009's *Inglorious Bastards*. I think for the first. First comment is that um, any anybody in, an, in a as an actor in a film uh, that can upstage Brad Pitt is <laughs> yeah. very impressive. Brad Pitt doing a Foghorn Leghorn accent, <laughs> exactly, yeah. which is irresistible. With, yeah, who can deny that? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you, I'll say, I'll say. Pe- people go to saw, go and saw, go and saw. People that went go and, and saw. saw this film. It's all that time travel. You're getting yeah. confused Where about verb right tenses. Now? Yeah, uh, people that went to see this film. Myself included, had no idea what I was in for right. when I went and saw Glorious Bastards and what was about to happen with Christoph Waltz on on the screen. <clears throat> Something happened in front of me. You know, you see movies sometimes, and you you see an actor absolutely just hit it out of the park. Yeah, be born. You know, this is where their career starts. Yeah, and that's what happened in this film. His villain, uh, self-proclaimed Jew hunter, not a Nazi. Yeah. Uh, the way he used his his smarts, his grin his smile, to absolutely manipulate every situation that he knew was going to work out in his favor. The scene in the beginning of the film with that the French farmer. Poetry. Can I t- oh, that scene yeah. is poetry. Like absolutely. I don't know of anything. I've, 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 I have never seen the first 15 minutes of a movie affect me the way that first 15 minutes did. It's like, magic. It's, it's absolutely. It's, I've never seen anything how like it. How sunny he is, how mm-hmm. pleasant, and, you know, can I have a drink? You know, just like... <laughs> just, it's completely disarming. And he gets to use that charm to like a much different effect in in Django and Chain, yeah. you know. But it's like no, it, you're right about that. When you're watching that movie for the first time, especially when it first came out, you were seeing like, oh, I, I don't know who this guy is, but he's he's a star, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. There, there was something really cool about that scene. I'm not the like. Oh no no, but that scene so, is so astounding. all right. So one thing I thought was really cool about the dialogue about that is he started off very broad, very broad, and he brought it further in and further in and further in. Until he started talking about 
the family within within a couple blocks. And then he started talking about the house. And then he talked about the floor. And then it was like, I, I just thought it was something poetic about the way it happened. Like, mm-hmm. it's just something really magical about seeing a person, a villain. That's why I like Quentin Tarantino's dialogue. It's something very, very, very poetic about his dialogue and the way it came across with this character the the perfect combination of setting and and this dialogue between these two characters i mean it, it was i'll show anybody that first 15 minutes of the movie anybody i show everybody that's never seen that movie i turn it on to me no you've never seen this we're watching it right now. You have to see this yeah, scene. Yeah, it's like a classic example of just tightening the screws for the whole segment. Yeah. You know, the whole segment. I love that. Love that. What's, what I think what's most uncomfortable about a lot of the scenes that he has in that film is that in some cases you kind of, or I felt myself falling victim to, to his charm. <laughs> to the charm. You know, you almost are like, oh, okay, like this is a nice guy. Like you know, you right. you kind of almost. And you, and you know you 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 know you're a bad person for doing that because you know who he is by the point that you yeah. start to realize all this, but it really is just a moment where you're like this guy is absolutely a different kind of monster because he's so aware, like you were kind of alluding to Ronald of like what he has to do to get to what he wants to say, yeah, yeah. and the way to do it is to completely disarm you emotionally, yeah. situationally, and it's just watching that happen in the film. It's just like a cold, brutal, and in, in, intelligent way. Of yeah. being a complete asshole mm-hmm. and a villain for for all time, I mean, just yeah. a badass villain. Yeah, and it's like the, the he is like the fact that he's intelligent. Yeah, I mean it's another smart like yeah. talking about Hannibal Lecter, and these two came to mind. Like I was trying to think of like these smarter villains, and uh, that went more off of intellect, and that was like their tool or that was their weapon in a lot of ways. And that's uh, he's a perfect example of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right, for my next uh, <clears throat> choice. I'm going to just show Ronald a phrase on paper, and I want you to read this phrase in the voice that it brings to mind for you. Okay. Okay. Oh, my. My precious. Oh, come on. <laughs> come on. Remember? <laughs> my precious! There you go. <laughs> Elmo, so good. It is the best, the best Elmo ever. He is truly a villain, dog. The third season of Bobby's World took a turn. It kind of does so One like... One of the greatest on-screen villains. Now, uh, of course I'm talking about my man Gollum. Or Smeagol, to those who knew him back when he was just a dumb... <laughs> Slightly <laughs> selfish <laughs> hobbit-like creature. Uh, so one of my, another of my non-human characters on the list uh, to to be uh, one of my favorite villains. You know, I, I for me this was this was the one that stood in for a lot of the great classic villains that I knew I wasn't putting on the list. Like I knew I wasn't doing Hannibal Lecter. I knew I wasn't doing the Joker. And I thought, well, you can't you can't <laughs> leave off all the all the classics. Uh-huh. Um, what makes Gollum stick with me so much is precisely the reason why a lot of people might not think of him as a villain, which is that he's he's pitiful. You come away sort of feeling sorry for this weird wretch, but <laughs> his 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 hunger, his addiction to this ring that he loves so much, uh, is so powerful that at every part in the story where like, you know, there's some moments where characters show him real compassion, and he could be redeemed, or he could become sort of a force for good, or he could try to help, but in the end, he just his his addiction or his you know his hunger for the ring takes him down at every turn, and. I mean, I think that pity factor plays into why he makes me so uncomfortable. Because I, if I had a chance, like the the hobbits in the movie do, 
if I had a chance to strike this pathetic creature down, I might let him live just out of pity as well. And that allows him to kind of stick around and to kind of get his claws in them more. And, you know, he leads him into traps. He does everything he can to, to try to to try to get that ring. And in the very end, even when is a moment where, you know, a character could be redeemed or he could sacrifice himself in a selfless way, he ends up, it's, it really ends up being his evilness that does him in in the end. And, and what's interesting is that the way that Tolkien envisioned the story is that, you know, there's a part earlier when this whole notion of why you might spare someone who's truly rotten mm-hmm. comes up. And that notion of you might spare them, they might still have a role to play. And the way the movie unfolds, or the, the way the book unfolds, and the way that's played in the movie, in Return of the King specifically, uh, where his, his villainous character really comes to the fore, is that his role to play is actually turns out to be a really important role. That in the end, you might argue that the day wouldn't have been saved at the end for everybody if Gollum hadn't been there to do what he does. Right. But what he does is out of pure evil and, and selfishness. So in that sense, I think of him as like a really pathetic, really relatable villain. But he definitely is, you know, it, it, it's it's literally staged in the movie where his better side and his his evil side kind of have a fight with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a lot of other stories that might have been seen as a really corny thing, but I thought the way they played it in this was like really this 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 creature divided. And it felt like a very contemporary kind of psychological approach to a character that's in the middle of this fantasy world where you don't always get that type of thing. So yeah, mm. Gollum, Gollum always sticks with me. Maybe even more so in the book, because in the book there's a couple of moments that he really does have a chance to be good and you really do see in his thinking that he recognizes that he could sort of he could react positively to the compassion that these hobbits are showing to him. But, you know, it, like I said, at every opportunity, he 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 shows his arse, Ronald. Mm. <laughs> Um, I like that the phrase "my precious" didn't evoke anything for you when I, you first read it. I though. looked at him like, "Oh, oh, okay." You were like, "Is Walker finally coming on to me?" <laughs> um, this one is uh, proof that no matter what time or what place, where you are in the world, this person will always be your fucking enemy for the rest of your life. <laughs> Biff. Biff. I'm so glad. Someone had Biff. <laughs> Biff. Biff not only was a bully, he tried to rape his mo- Who who is who are you? Who are you as a person? Who is you? Who is you? Who are you as a person where you not only bully a person, mm-hmm. but in the past you tried to take advantage of someone's mom. You are an asshole. You are an asshole, my friend, and you become one of the greatest villains of all time. And and like uh, the best example probably ever of the bully, the guy yeah. who literally exists to torment the the main character. You what know? was really weird about or his the main character's dad? Obviously. His bullying wasn't bullying. He wanted to kill him. He told him several times that he wanted to kill him. <laughs> that that is not bullying at that point. It's like borderline harassment. He has to kill him. He had to kill him. Almost had to kill Biff several times. He threatened to kill him so many times in all of the movies that it became. Like a regular thing for him to like destroy him in one shape or another, but Biff. Biff Tannen. Biff Tannen. Great choice. Honorable mention. Good choice. What a yeah. Asshole. If if this had been a list of six, I'm not kidding. Biff Tannen <laughs> probably would have been on there. Biff Tannen. <clears throat> ruthless. Well, especially now that everyone's talking about bullying and bullies, you think about that character. What really stands out about right. him is just that. Yeah, like he's got that joy. Like he seems happiest when he's being mean for yeah. meanness' sake. You know, it doesn't really get more more bullyish than that. <laughs> Plus, I think that actor. Tom Wilson, who plays Biff, is like 
if you've ever heard him in interviews, he's this really warm, gregarious guy. And so I right. think that adds to the element. It's like that's another one of those cases, and we might talk about this at some point in a future episode, just those performances that just seem like they were just beamed down in this perfect form that you forget that like an actor had to make those choices. Like that's that's a that's a real performance. Like that's a great I mean, comedic a great performance. You know what I mean? Because yeah. he is the exact he's just the kind of heaviness that movie needs. Like, yeah. He was great in that uh Ah, what is that TV show? Uh, the Canadian one uh, had Seth Rogen in it. Oh, uh, he, he was a gym teacher on that show. Freaks and Geeks. Freaks and Geeks. Oh, fr- yeah, he was that's Canadian. No, that's not Canadian. No. That's Canadian. No, it's just that's, n- no. that's not. That's Canadian. Well, it's Seth Rogen is Canadian. He is no, Canadian. the show is the He's show. A Canadian I don't person. think the show was made here. Well, it might have been shot. I think it was like shot in Canada. Well, but that doesn't mean it's Canadian. <laughs> Everything's Canadian? shot in Canada. Many Ronald. movies are not shot. In no, America. no. I think. Just, I think. Freaks have you and... not ever noticed that to, that like every city in America looks like Toronto? I think yeah, Freaks seriously. and Geeks is Canadian. <laughs> I can't prove it though. I'm gonna. Um, Freaks and Geeks is an American teen comedy drama series. But is it Canadian, Steve? Um, let me but check and see where it was Canadian? shot on location, Jonathan. <laughs> yeah, how, about, how about? No, you might be right. I'm pretty sure I'm definitely right. Cause if so you think when they called it, it an American TV series that they were referring to it being American and not Canadian? American Canadian. <laughs> American Canadian. <laughs> yeah. It takes place... Are you from the future? In Chippewa, Michigan. It was a great shot. I don't know if it was shot there. No, it's yeah. probably shot in Canada, though. You're yeah. probably right. But yeah, that guy, that guy, he was a really... He's, he's totally different He's also character. in... Uh, recently, he's in The Heat with Sandra Bullock and... Uh, really? Yeah, he, he plays... Um, I that movie was Melissa awful. He's, uh, I guess, Captain or Sergeant... Mm. Anyway, back to the villain list. My final choice for uh, best movie villain is... Uh, I'm trying to think of the best way I want to say this. From uh, Cormac McCarthy's uh, Coen Brothers film, No Country for Old oh. Men, Javier Bardem's character, uh, Anton... Sugar? Sugar. Yeah. Sugar. Um, I think it's actually meant to be pronounced like sugar. Sugar, okay. But it's like Anton spelled sugar. in such a weird way. like C-H-I-G-U-R-H. Yeah. Sugar. Works yeah. for me. Um, Otherwise known as Prince Valiant to his friends because of the haircut. Right. <laughs> that, that nice mop top <laughs> yeah. cut. Um, a great choice. I'm trying to think of how I wanted to... I, I, I'm having trouble trying to explain this character. People that I've seen, I mean, he's just such a cold, calculated, driven, focused, like undeterred. You know, there's nothing really... There's no there's no personality really to the character at mm-hmm. all. Every every line that he says in the film is in response to something else uh or serves a purpose for him to, you know, make his kill or whatever it is. But the one thing that really stood out with me with him is that he, he uh, kind of relates to what I just said like he doesn't say a lot, but his actions are really what speak the loudest in the film. Uh and it really any throughout the entire film, the things that a lot of people remember are the one the scenes that he's involved in, and he's so detached from the world that Josh Brolin's character lives in, has no relatability to it to one another at all, and the fact that he's hunting him. Um, well, it just yeah, it's like they, sh- they Josh Brolin is almost he's kind of a he's not like what you call a heroic figure in that film, right. but like seeing just how human he is and how fallible he is and then you see the force that's fucking <laughs> yeah the force that's trailing him and you just feel you start how to does feel, he have a shot you hell? just start to feel extremely worried about josh brolin in this film and that seems to be yeah. like the real tension of of the movie is just like 
yeah, like, can anything stop this guy? It kind of... He, he almost doesn't seem human. He's very Terminator-like in yeah. that yeah. sense, back to what I was saying I was going to mention it when you were mentioning Terminator, but I decided to yeah. bite my tongue. But it does almost feel like it's not a human thing. It's like he's some alien or he's some, like, <laughs> cyborg or whatever. But it's just a character that really only has one thing that he does. And it's like, once he has his task, that's all there is. And there's nothing that's going to stop him. And the things that get in his way, like, I don't, I don't remember all of the details of it. Like, the, the, the flipping of the coin. You know, things like that. Well, that I mean, the kinda... premise of that is, I was just about to say that he's got rules and he, he right. means it. Like, right. But, like, there's moments in the movie where you may doubt that he's going to let someone live or not. But it seems that he mean like, that, that coin toss that he wants people to do... He he means it. Like right. it does seem that's that your, that's a chance. Yeah, yeah, and that's a kind of. I think the fact that he sticks to it, like you're saying, he means it. It just speaks to even like the commitment that he has to the task at hand. Mm-hmm. Um, just, I, it's not my number. I don't. I didn't really put these in a five to one order. It's just the last one I decided on my list. I had to push a few other ones out. But again, four out of five of my villains, Academy Award winning for this role. I'm just gonna say. You couldn't go for a yeah. five, huh? Well, I mean, Psycho got nominated for six Academy Awards, didn't yeah. win any, but right. uh, Anthony Perkins didn't. Uh, I was thinking about another Coen Brothers villain that reminded me of him, and that's the uh, the leather jacket guy from Raising Arizona. Oh, the lone biker oh, yeah. of the apocalypse. Oh, that was man. on my, That was one of my also rants, too. And it's like, he's great because he represents, I mean, like, Anton Chigurh is a much more, like, is a much more, like... Uh, terrifying version of that but just this relentless force that's coming it's yeah. coming it's coming it's coming you know and it's like whatever you're doing <laughs> it's still coming for you yeah it's gonna sweep you off your feet you're gonna it's gonna get to you no matter what it's it's cool that's a good, really good villain i'm glad you chose that one so yeah. i guess we're gonna john bring it home john you i gotta bring it home well i'll, I'll first I'll, I'll share a little this villain is uh a character from my favorite <laughs> book probably the book i've read the most times the villain uh, of this book, I'll just read a little, a little passage that describes the character. In combat, he was terrifying, fighting entirely to kill, indifferent to any wounds he received himself, and closing on his adversaries until his weight overbore or exhausted them. I'm talking, of course, about the meanest little bunny rabbit that ever lived, General Woundwart from Watership Down. Uh, you know, I, I love this move. The book is, maybe, is, like I said, my favorite book. I've probably read it the most times. Talking Rabbit scares a lot of people away, but it's not, it's like not a silly book at all. Right, right. Um, it's really weird how it manages to walk the line between being, you know, sort of a fantasy about talking animals and a book that really feels very real and very grounded in, in kind of gritty things. But the movie is 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 not as it's not as perfect as the book. But I, I saw the movie on HBO when I was a kid, so that was before I'd read the book, and it was at a time when I was maybe eight or nine. And um, you know, a story about talking rabbits—you're expecting a certain type of story. And Watership Down is not that type of story at all. It's got mm. blood. It's got it's got like genocide. It's got it's got every weird thing that that people can do to each other, kind of transposed over to the animal world. And General Woundwort is this. He's this big, muscular, evil rabbit. <laughs> it sounds really silly when I say it, but like his backstory is even is, is even screwed up. Like he he um, his mother was killed by a weasel, and then he was taken in by a, a like a lady who had a farm, and he was raised near a cat, and he tr- got tough every day by fighting with the cat all the time, and he had this concept in his head that he was going to defeat all the animals that were like the natural predators of rabbits, you know, because right. as a rabbit, you get really sick of being everybody's prey. So like he he 
fought the cat first and managed to like injure this cat severely enough that he could escape the farm. And then he goes finds a, a warren of rabbits and takes it over by killing their leader. Is this is the movie animated? The movie's animated, yeah. and all this is just backstory of the character. But he's just this really tough, very militaristic rabbit. In the in the movie, they even gave him like one blind eye yeah. and like you know all these injuries and stuff. Uh, in the book, I don't know that they mentioned that he was that he had pale eyes in the book, but he's just described as this kind of relentless force. Mm-hmm. And in the end, uh, it you know without spoiling the entire plot, in the end when he comes to confront the, our heroes, um, they know they can't outmatch him physically, and so the one hope they have is that they they're going to release this dog from a nearby farm <laughs> and it's going to attack him. And it's this dog they've been taunting, so the dog's ready to go. And when right, they finally right. re- they free the dog, I believe by chewing through the rope mm-hmm. that holds the dog in place. The dog comes up. General Woundwort comes, you know, comes out, sees the dog. They have a fight. The way the movie plays the moment where they lunge at each other, it's like slow motion animation. This rabid looking dog and this bloody rabbit like jumping at each other. And then it goes to the next scene. And it basically says that General Woundwort's body was never found. Oh, wow. Uh, in the book, they actually refer to the, the dog's owner finding the dog injured later. So it's alluded to that the, the General Woundwort got away. Mm-hmm. And even in the story, in the sort of epilogue, they talk about how... Uh, uh, stories are told for generations to frighten young rabbits that if they don't do what their parents say, that the general will get them. Um, really? It's just a really creepy character. And when you see the way his his sort of, his world that he's set up, like this 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 uh, society or this community of rabbits that he oversees, it's a very almost like fascistic kind of way of controlling them. You know, he's got all these, everybody lives in fear of him. And he just seems to represent that 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 character that, that believes that you expand your power just by being brutal and by being taking cruel. Taking down the thing in front of you. Yeah, by yeah. taking down the thing in front of you. And in fact, it, it's almost his undoing in the end that one of the ways that he is foiled in the end is because he believes that that there must be a bigger rabbit in this warren that he's supposed to fight because he doesn't think he's come into contact with the leader yet. And then when he comes outside, he runs right into the right into the dog. But it's just really cool the way it's played that you don't really know what happens. And it's, if it sounds like I'm spoiling the whole story, there's so much more to the story of Watership Down. There's really no way to spoil it with just one character. But when I was a kid, I think it really blew my mind that that there was this, you know, scary rabbit. This it was before, sounds really good. It was like before that, Donnie Darko, so. That sounds really, really good. It makes me want to read it. That's a curveball. I wasn't thinking wow. that was yeah. good. That's a good choice. And by the way, as far as categories, I had a category going of the bad boss. <laughs> and General Woundwort was the worst bad boss. Oddly enough, the one that almost ended up on my list that is another example of a bad boss who rules uh, uh, you know, uh, our characters or the heroes of the story in, in a kind of a militaristic way was Lotso Hugs Bear. Oh, yeah, from Toy Story from 3. From Toy Story 3. <laughs> that guy's a fucking evil bad guy <laughs> because dick. in the end, the, what made me almost put him on the list is there's a moment at the end where he's been saved by our friends, Woody and and buzz and everybody and he could just blend in get away but he decides to fuck everybody by like not you know he's the reason that they're all going down towards the incinerator at the end he could have he could have saved him and he didn't so it's like he's like the rare (laughs) pixar villain that doesn't get any redemption no there's no positive lining there so what were some of your also rants ronald uh agent smith had to mention agent smith i love that character uh the villain from man bites dog the main character um, and Daniel Day Lewis and there will be blood and and the butcher. Yeah, Bill the Butcher and, and Daniel Plainview, yeah. both of those characters. <sighs> so good. All right, so those are mine. Those are my miscellaneous um, ones. Um, I had in terms of my horror guys, I had a couple horror that I wanted to have that I cut would be uh, Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger. 
That's just personal. I'm glad you didn't put Freddy Krueger on there. Yeah, I couldn't, but it's in my whatever. He's a good one though. <laughs> um, I don't I know love... why horror guys didn't seem like they really fit this. Maybe because it's I had, like I mean, I had, I had, I mean, I feel like I don't know. I feel like Hannibal Lecter and well, I don't think Norman of those. Bates. I don't, but I think of that as a different character. When Char- I t- when I think of like. Like, let me put it this like way. Like a boogeyman. Anytime you have a character who has five or six movies to their name, <laughs> oh. they're oh, not yeah. really the villain of the movie series. Like, maybe they're they're evil, but they're in the movies. You are you're following that character and seeing what you're seeing what Freddy Krueger does to people. Sure. You know. Yeah. So it seems to me that like and to me a villain is more a character that is like acting against the purposes of a heroic struggle or a heroic character that you want to see succeed. Right. Right. So. Um, I have a couple. I'm going to name them real quick. Yeah. I have Alex DeLarge from Clockwork Orange. Yep. Oh, yeah. I wanted uh, to say him, but I feel like that would have been too hipster. John Doe from Seven. Yep. Kevin Spacey's character. Uh, Gordon Gecko from Wall Street. Hans Gruber. Uh, Patrick Bateman. Yep. From American Psycho. And for the ladies, I got Cruella DeVille. Yes. I was going to say Cruella DeVille. Want to kill puppies. I know. Just, just what about Jafar? A, a fur coat. Yeah, he's just a villain to me. Fuck Jafar. Uh, killing puppies for fur coats. That's evil, Ronald. That's okay? pretty and, evil. And, 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 no. <laughs> um, I also had more, re- I don't know, Hilly Holbrook, the girl from The Help. The, 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 the bitch oh, from The yeah, Help. Yeah, yeah. Bryce Dallas Howard's character. Yeah. And the last lady on my list is the Wicked Witch of the West. Oh, yes. Mm. Very good Five. choice. Cool. Um, a lot of my... I, I left the big one for you, John. I don't know if you did or not. Oh, maybe if you don't say it, I'm going to throw it out there. All but right. Go ahead. Um, a lot of my also rants we've already talked about, like uh, Anton Sugar, uh, Daniel Plainview, Bill the Butcher, Norman Bates. I also had Nor- uh, Noah Cross from Chinatown, the John oh, yeah. Houston character. I had Cruella DeVille. I had Ursula from The Little Mermaid. She uh, she was on there at one point. Uh, Ray Fiennes as Emon Goethe in uh, Schindler's List. Like... Really hard to take that one off because that was one of those kind of human monsters that <laughs> is yep. just awful. But I almost felt like I didn't have anything fun to say about that movie. Yeah. Uh, and then um, I had Biff Tannen, which I'm glad you mentioned it. But the other one that I almost mentioned, and this was a really tough call because I really did hate this character, but I just don't think he stood up against the villainy of some of these others. But Steph McKee, the James Spader character from Pretty in Pink. Oh, my God. Yeah. Good, oh, good like choice. the epitome of the preppy asshole <laughs> that if you were me in 86 <laughs> and you felt like Ducky, I'm sure I wasn't the only guy of my type to feel like Ducky was there to represent you know, my, my, my type. Yeah. The guy who doesn't get the girl. Um, the um, not in high school anyway. Uh, the <laughs> the uh, that that character just stood for everything, like more so than the Andrew McCarthy character. They had to, in order to make Andrew McCarthy's preppy right. character seem like not such a bad guy, they had to create the uber preppy dick. And I think '80s movies were chock full of that character. But James mm. Spader just excelled at it. And, and there's a scene in Pretty in Pink where Ducky just gets fed up with hearing James Spader say bad things about Molly Ringwald's character, and he kind of attacks him. In the hallway, and it's a very realistic, like teen high school. Even though everybody looks like they're thirty-five years old, <laughs> it's a very realistic kind of teen a, a fight in the hallway because it's just like one guy grabbing another guy, and they're kind of spinning around yeah. and kind of slinging each other at the wall and stuff. It's like not a fist fight, but it's a great explosion of nerd rage that Ducky has. And yeah, so Steph McKee and da, 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 uh, Nurse Ratched from One World with a Cuckoo's Nest was was a really tough one to to cut from the list. Cool. The one I left you was Darth Vader. You? you know, Darth Vader was was. Top of when I said I'm not going to be obvious, and I didn't go Darth Vader. Okay. So, okay. but yeah, Darth Vader. If, if, if I feel like, I mean, he's the he's got to be the he's got, he's the toppermost of the poppermost, really, when right. it comes to like movie villains. But he's just so engineered to be, yeah, you know, the, the greatest villain. Yeah, the fact that he's like all dressed in black and has this crazy deep voice. And is that racist, by the way? I don't know. But, 
that when he took off his <laughs> it is james earl jones's voice but yeah. when he takes off the mask he's a weird old white guy yeah, he's like frail and weird looking. what we call a, a racist bait and switch <laughs> um make his voice black speaking of which i did notice when i started making this list that it would have been very easy to just have a list of like middle-aged british guys because they seem to play villains oh. almost better than anybody oh yeah but you know Definitely. we kept it to a respectable minimum of, of middle-aged <laughs> british guys yeah. So actually, yeah, we had a lot of uh, we we sort of solicited our our friends and listeners to to send in some of their picks. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's check some of that stuff out right now. Hello, movie schmovie. This is Chris McCaleb. My favorite. This is for the favorite movie villains episode. My favorite movie villain is Evil, as played by David Warner in the movie Time Bandits. There's something about that guy. He is completely evil, but he's also just a little bit isolated and clueless. I love the fact that he's made of, he seems to be made of machinery and that he surrounds himself with a bunch of even more clueless minions who are just delighted to be exploded by him. He's a really bizarre guy. I love him, and I hate him. So hope you enjoyed it, too, and I am looking forward to the podcast. Bye. This is Craig. The Fratellis from the Goonies, because that one brother sings opera, and the mom is awesome because she's from Throw Mama from the Train. Thank you. My name is Andrew Eugenic, and my favorite villain is Khan from whichever one, from Star Trek II, from In the Darkness, doesn't matter because he's perfect. You can't beat him. Uh, the Ricardo Maltabon one, he, he waxes poetic. Benedict Cumberbatch is just ice cold, and it's just perfect. It's the perfect foil to the happy, adventuring space cowboys of the Starship Enterprise. So Khan is the best villain in a movie, at least in my opinion. Hi. Yes, this is Aaron Underwood, and I vote for Mr. Jaws from whatever James Bond movie that is, I think it's Live and Let Die. And I saw it as a kid, and he was really, really creepy. He's very tall, and he's got that wired-looking mouth, and he's so bad and evil and beats up James Bond. So he's my vote for the villain. Thank you. Bye. Hi, my name is Titular Atrocity. And my favorite villain on film would have to be Danny DeVito from Romancing the Stone. Yes, Danny DeVito's performance in Romancing the Stone is the character whose name I have not bothered to remember is a tour de force in ineptitude and fatness. And thus, as a true villain of no talent and no skill, he accomplishes his evil works through happenstance and circumstance and circumcision. Well, maybe not circumcision. This has been Titular Atrocity, giving you perfectly useless movie reviews on my favorite villain, Danny DeVito, in Romancing the Stone. My name is John, uh, calling from Alabama. Uh, It is not in my nature to be brief, uh, so I apologize in advance to whoever has to edit this. So I'm down to a list of five, and I won't really go into much detail. Um, Catherine Zeta-Jones and Intolerable Cruelty. 
John Doe, uh, Kevin Spacey, and Seven. Uh, Ted Levine is Buffalo Bill and Silence of the Lambs. Uh, Wes Studi as, as Magua in The Last of the Mohicans. And then, I guess, a molded piece of plastic. Kim Jong-il in Team America World Police. As they say, it's like a soft penis. It's hard to beat. Hi, this is Amanda, and uh, I'm calling not with my favorite bad guy, but one of my favorite bad guys uh, is Captain Harris from Police Academy 4. Uh, he would go on to be in 5 and 6, which I'm, probably shouldn't have never been made anyway. But uh, the reason why I enjoy his villainous performance is that, you know, it's kind of low-stakes villain the slapstick quality to it, and I don't know, uh, the fact that he ends up being the butt of the joke, you know, he's not really a dangerous villain, but just kind of a, a pest, good for a laugh in a bunch of silly movies. So anyway, uh, yeah. This is Christy Edmonds, and I'm leaving a vote for Anton Sugar uh, from No Country for Old Men. Hello, Movie Schmovie Podcast. My name is Jonathan Eaton. I'm calling from inside a movie theater. Okay, the movie hasn't started yet. I'm going to see Pacific Rim. I'm excited. Uh, I have been thinking about this all day, and uh, I honestly don't know who my favorite villain is, so I'm going to go with my favorite movie instead and go with the villain from that. I'm going to go with Ash from Alien. Um, Ian Holm. Pretty good, right? Not cliche like Darth Vader or some shit. Anyway, hi. Hi, this is Lisa. Uh, my favorite villain is Nurse Ratchet from. Well, my least favorite villain is Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest because she has such absolute control and no compassion. And it was horrible. But my favorite villain is Nicolas Cage in Face Off because of his gleeful portrayal of badness. That is all. Thanks. Hey, guys. It's Robbie Reed. Um, after much deliberation, I'd have to say my favorite movie villain would have to be the HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey, uh, probably because, first off, <clears throat> at the time, Artificial intelligence was still a very new thing, and it was probably super scary for everybody at that time. Um, second, the look is just extremely creepy, just kind of like a red eye. And third, probably the way it speaks. It's always very, like, calm, and there's something just eerie about a calm-speaking robot that has a mind of its own. Um, my biggest honorable mentions... The Joker, and John Doe from Seven. Thanks, guys. Well, hello, movie schmoozie. Patrick Anderson calling from the good old Lone Star State, Texas. Um, best villain. It was really tough, but uh, I'm going to have to go with uh, Mr. Gary Oldman in The Professional as Stansfield. Um, incredible. Still gives me the chills down the spine. Excellent, excellent villain. Um, if you want the backup, I'll go ahead and throw in Gene Simmons in the classic Runaway. Oh, yeah. Tom Selleck's 1984 Runaway. 
All right. Thank you guys uh, just for doing this. This is awesome. And I uh, hope to hear some other great uh, villains. This is Reginald Tumblebottom III. I am leaving a message to uh, tell you my favorite villain uh, from the movie Happy Gilmore. The actor's name is Christopher McDonald, and the character he plays is Shooter McGavin. And I think he makes the perfect uh, uh, antithesis to the, uh, the main character of the movie, Happy Gilmore. Um, also for the fact that he likes to make out with grandmas in Gene Simmons' uh, masks. So, um, again... Favorite villain, Shooter McGavin, played by Christopher McDonald in the movie Happy Gilmore. <laughs> That's good stuff. It's always fun to awkwardly look at one another while, yeah. we, while we pause <laughs> yeah. to listen to that. Yeah, whenever we know we're going to be editing in some clips later, we always have to sort of pretend that we just heard it. But but I just want to say thanks to everybody for, for calling in. We got a pretty healthy healthy helping of uh, listener submissions this time. So. A couple, couple picks in there that we actually had in ours as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, thanks again for calling in. We need to do that more. We need to, we need to, these list shows that we have, I think it'd be really good to have those listeners call in and, and get those submissions. Not that they're going to, you know, influence our picks, but it's kind of cool just to kind of throw them as yeah. a book and some picks that I didn't even think of that, that were on these lists that, yeah. I mean, it's kind of cool to, to hear some other sides. But, uh, yeah, man, there's some pretty bad people. Not the listeners, but the, the villains. So what did we learn tonight about ourselves, about villains in general, about movies? Um, I learned that I, I, I obviously respond to uh, Oscar-winning villains. You do. You do. <laughs> I learned that I find inhuman characters to be just as scary as human characters. I learned that baby rape is just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and it's good that you finally learned that tonight. I know. I just... I just, just learned never that. Know, tomorrow might have been the day that you... It's wrong. <laughs> it's wrong to do it. Oh, God, no. It's wrong to do it. It's, oh, it's, no. it's wrong to put it in a film. It might be even wrong to I talk about it on a podcast. Life. I don't know. I don't know that life. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, what a crazy... Good, time. Good times. Yeah, definitely. If you haven't seen any of the films that we mentioned, well, I'm sure you have because these are classics. Make sure you uh, check them out and see how bad you think these badasses are and let us know if we made the right choice. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, still, call us. If you, if you want to email us, call the hotline, 443-330-2462. If you have an idea for a show, just that would like be Patrick great. did, yeah. uh, kind of prompted you, us Patrick. to get this going. Um, if you have ideas that you want us to maybe consider for show topics. Because we are trying to get away from always just doing the review shows oh, yeah. for, for day-and-date releases. Because, frankly, it's sometimes it's difficult for us to get together in time to talk about a movie while it's yeah. still timely. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. And it, true. I, I do think that these it's nice to, to have one of these... One of these going. So yeah, any suggestions for topics we could cover, or even if there's just movies that you think we haven't talked about, there's a possibility we might like watch a few old movies and do an episode where we kind of catch up on movies. I we could probably seen. be talked into watching an older film. Yeah. Same, Because you know, Cause, you know Steve, there are. I, I, I want you to hold on to your chair. There are movies made before 1983. I don't believe that. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> Not happening. There's no way. What? The How they make that? You'll see. <laughs> but uh, good times, guys. Good seeing you again. It's yes. Thankfully, we'll be together again next week, and oh, yeah. another month goes by. But uh, thank you guys for listening so much, and as always, you've made our day. Take care. Bye-bye.